Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to be here today. What a blessing it is, Lord, to see those of like precious faith to gather in this place to unite our, our voices and our hearts and our prayers before Thee. Lord, bless each one who has come. We pray, Lord, that as they entered this place, they may have felt not only the warmth and the love of brethren and friends, but that they might have felt thy presence with us. Bless the conversations and the brother that served in the Bible class. Lord, be with those that can't be with us in this day, those who are not able to gather with people, those who find themselves in nursing homes. Be with those who struggle physically and are not able to be with us. We're so thankful, Lord, that we see Sister Hilda with us again and pray that each time she comes, she might be strengthened in having been here. Lord, speak to us out of thy word. Lord, open thy word in a place that we have need of and teach us from it, beginning with thy servant. And we will be careful already, Lord, to thank thee and to praise thee for the goodness that is found in thee. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Dear ones, before I open the word and ask the Lord to reveal a scripture, I just want to reread verse 2 of the hymn that Aunt Trudy said, if I wouldn't have been in a hurry like I always am, I would have given others a chance to find this song. Gather my distracted thought, faithful shepherd ever, for without thee I have not but much anguish ever. Only fear reigneth here. Thou canst give for sadness life and rest and gladness. Probably in my lifetime, there were few times where there was more chaos and fear in the world. But that is what reigns here. But we have a king who is not of this world. And he bestows on us rest and peace and gladness if we will but allow him to speak those things into our lives. I believe the Lord would have us turn together to Hebrews chapter 12. It was not the first scripture I opened to, but it is the one that the Lord led me to. So Hebrews chapter 12, we'll begin reading in the first verse. I'll give you a moment to find it. Wherefore, Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run, let us say aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, 
My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. And what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastening, whereof are ye partakers, then are ye bastards, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up your hands which hang down, and your feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which be lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fall from the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornication or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For we know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto the blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they heard, in, heard entreated that, that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and the spirit of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spoke, spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now... He hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And, and this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of the things that are made of the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. The entire 12th chapter. Dear ones, in this chapter, there are, there are things that may be hard to understand. But there are also things that are very easy to understand. 
that should be given to us as, as a great encouragement. So we know that chapter 11 is the faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the writer, who probably was the Apostle Paul, we don't know that for certain, but the writing style seems to indicate it was Paul's. This, we know this was written to, to Jewish believers so that they could understand the, 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 the drawing together of, of the, the new covenant and the old covenant. But in, verse, in chapter 11, he talks about all the great men of faith. And we could, read, we could read them if we had time, and I encourage you to, to read them when you're at home, but I'm also going to encourage you to do something else. But when, in verse 12, he says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who were the witnesses? Those were those that he wrote about in the previous chapter. Dear ones, who are the witnesses of faith that have spoken into your life? Perhaps they are. Moses. Perhaps they are Abraham, but maybe there are others. Jeremy touched on it when he said he loves to hear the stories of how God worked in his grandfather's lives, both grandfathers. But who else? What other, if, if you were going to, and, and, and some might say, well, you know, I, I like to use this phrase, if we had our own Hall of Fame for faith. And people say, no, 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 we're not supposed to honor people. Well, the Apostle Paul honored Epaphroditus pretty much, pretty highly. Talked about how, how he served the Lord, how he, he put his own life at risk for the brethren in Philippi. And he brought attention to him, not to the man, but to the spirit indwelling the man. And that the man allowed the spirit to work. So in your own life, who are these people? Who are they? I see Brother Jim sitting there, and I think of his grandfather, Brother Tony Betts. Now, I didn't, some of you know Brother Tony very well, probably not as well as Jim did or my parents did, because he would have been probably their spiritual father, I would guess. But one of the things that, that really touched me about Brother Tony, and, and Brother Jim actually let me read, a le- was it a letter, Brother Jim, that you're, or a, a, some type of a record that your grandfather wrote? Somehow you gave me a document to read once that just touched my heart. And, and if you would ask Brother Tony, who was not a big man, he was a, he was a man of small stature, but a man of large character. A man who was given the oversight of a very, very large church in some unusual growth times having lots of immigrants coming and having to balance the different needs and the different desires and wishes and cultures. A church that was growing rapidly, that was building a new building. And yet, he learned to lead when he was the Sunday school teacher for what he referred to as Cradle Row. He ministered to the needs of children. And he learned how to lead. And what I'll never forget is that, you know, I married one of his girls, so to speak. You know, when I I went to, and whenever I would go to Mansfield, even before I married Frida in the Mansfield congregation, when I would come, he would say, Brother David, so nice that you came home. Now, why would he pay attention to a young person that left his church 
when I was three and a half. It was about connections with people. That was Brother Tony. He established relationships with people. And people could see his faith. And, he, and, he was a, and, and even if you listen to his sermons, he even spoke with a gentleness compared to those powerful preachers that spoke with booming voices. So who is it in your life? Perhaps there were others. Perhaps it was a parent, a grandparent. Who are the people that lived out the faith so that you could understand it? Do you know anyone who showed faith in dying? We were able to experience that here. The doctor that visited Aunt Ginny in the hospital talked about the blessing of seeing a saint go to their reward. These are giants of faith, dear ones. These are the witnesses that surround us. Do we recognize it? Do we think on that? You know, it's one thing to to think about Samuel and Moses and David and Abraham and Gideon and Noah. That's that's good history. But boy, when when we can say, I touched that person, that's different. Because they are very, very real to us. Then my next question, dear ones, is, so what he says is, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside the sin and the weight, whatever it is that easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I don't know how to run with patience. I just, I'm, I'm one of these... That's why I never run much, right? I never knew how to run with patience. I remember when I was in junior high school, a little bit overweight for my, for my frame, and definitely not athletic whatsoever. And I remember we had to run a mile. Now, to the runners in the room, they're like, really, a mile? Like, I, I do that on my way to go get a snack. Like, a, mile's, yeah, a mile was a big deal. But you know, that was the only time in my life that I knew what it meant to run with patience because there was, a, there was a, a young man my age in junior high with me, Tony Dudley, who was massive. Tony probably weighed 400 pounds. So I ran with Tony because Tony was going to run with patience because he couldn't run any faster. And I thought, if Tony can do this, I can do this. Pace ourselves, my brother and my sister. Don't don't rush through this world. Run with patience. Because we are the witnesses that others are going to be looking for. Are we building the monuments? Are we sharing the stories? Are we making sure that those that will come after us will have something they can hold on to? Because the world is not going to get easier. It's only only going to get worse. And then the the, the writer goes on and he he talks about chastening. 
Nobody likes to be corrected. None of us do. I don't like to be corrected. I actually heard a study one time where, where there, there was a man, um, actually I'll tell you his name, his name is Marcus Buckingham, and Marcus Buckingham did a study where they, he was the, he was the author of the Strength Finders Assessment, and, and he did a study where they, they hooked up people to a functional MRI of some sort so that they could see what parts of the brain fired or were activated by different types of conversation. And he said, everyone says that they need feedback. Like in, in, the, in, the, in the, 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 the business realm, we always, you need to give people feedback. And it's true. But he said, people say we want feedback. But he said, no, we don't. Because he said, when we, when we give people feedback, the exact same part of the brain fires as when they are perceiving a physical threat. So he said, what people really want is to discover the truth from within themselves. They want you to lead them on a path of discussion, of questions, so you discover for yourself the feedback that they wanted to give. The writer of Hebrews knew this too. None of us like chastening, but we all need it. So what does our Father do? Our Father in heaven leads us on a path of experience so that we discover from within what was wrong, what was missing. That's why he brings experiences into our life, challenges into our life. I remember once having a conversation with Brother Sam Bojanitz, and I said, and, and Brother Sam was like, his, his life was just moving very quickly, and he was you know, embracing all kinds of unknowns, and he was so fine with it. And I, and I remember we were staying, we had one of our couple's retreats, and we were using mom and dad's house at the lake. It was wintertime. They were in Florida. And I remember saying to him, Sam, I don't know how you do that, because, man, I really need to have everything structured and everything planned. Oh, hold on. Wow, was I in for a surprise. Things at work started changing. I wasn't sure where I was supposed to be. And God was saying, you got to move. Time to move on. But obviously I wasn't listening, so he set circumstances up in place so that I would. And yes, I left one of the best jobs. I, I, you know, I, it was, it was, I was actually working for Brother Uli at the time, and I still tell people I had some of the most fun ever when I was working at Volpe. It was just such an enjoyable job. But God said, you're done here. I want you to go somewhere else. And that somewhere else was a two-year stint to prepare me for something else, which was an 18-year plan to prepare me for what I'm doing now. But I thought I had everything planned, and God said, time out. No, you don't. I'll make you uncomfortable. I'm going to chasten you a bit. Sorrows that come into our lives, challenges, it's the Lord's working in our life to prepare us for that next step, whatever that next step is, because he never brings us to a step without preparing us for it. And then he gives us a little bit more instruction here. He says, uh, he said, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. If we embrace the chastening and we don't resist it, there will be a wonderful outcome of it. And I love verse 12. Wherefore, lift up your, the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees. Don't stay there. Don't stay chastened. T learn from it and say, 
wow, I am so thankful that God treats me as a son, a true son, not an illegitimate son. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which be lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. And then he goes on, follow peace with all men and holiness without which, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest any man fall of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Oh, dear ones, bitterness. It's an insidious sin. There's, there's a, 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 I'm just, I'm reminded of a class that I, that I teach from time to time. And it's, it's based on a book called The Speed of Trust. And it talks about how you can build trust and how you lose trust and what you need to read. And, 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 and one of those things is that when, when you feel you've been wronged, when you feel you've been betrayed, there's different ways you can react to it. One is you can believe that it was an intentional act of betrayal. One is you can view it as a simple misunderstanding. Another way to view it is a simple lapse of judgment. So let's say someone betrayed you. Let's say someone actually betrayed you. You can say this was a conscious act of betrayal and this person meant to do it. Or you can say, it was a lapse of judgment. They really didn't mean to. Yes, it was betrayed, but they didn't mean to. It just, it, it had a bad day. Or you can say, it was a misunderstanding. I don't really understand what happened, and I'm just going to forgive. Or you can say, perhaps it was a lapse of competence. They simply didn't know any better. What's interesting is that almost, I don't, I don't, I don't know percentage, so I'm not going to give it. But the largest percentage of the time, the person who feels they've been betrayed goes to the point that it was a conscious act of betrayal. Even if it was a misunderstanding, a lack of competence, or, or you know, a, a, a poor judgment. And the reason we most often go to a conscious act of betrayal is it makes us feel better for being bitter. So we go to the worst because it allows us to justify the bitterness that we're feeling. Richard Nixon's last press conference. Don't know the date, but he met the press just as he was probably leaving the White House. It might have been on the lawn outside the White House. And these were the words that Richard Nixon said. Always do your best. Never give up. Never hate those that hate you. Because if you do, you destroy yourself and they win. When we decide to go to it was a conscious act of betrayal, we allow that bitterness to take root in our heart and we lose. Even if it was a conscious act of betrayal, we still lose. Not them. If they were conscious in their act of betrayal of us, 
they're happier that we took it bad. I remember hearing this, this testimony of a man once. He said that he was walking across a large lawn in a college setting with his father, who was the president of the college. And this man who deliberately was undermining his father meets them, and the father was so polite, so, so, so kind and friendly to this man. And as, he, as they parted companies, his son said, Dad, don't you know what he says about you? He goes, oh, absolutely I do. But he said, how he treats me does not determine how I treat him. I do. And the love of God is greater than anything that, yeah. We simply need to not let bitterness. And dear ones, I've struggled with bitterness. I still struggle with bitterness. It's one of those things, whether I am genetically whatever, I don't know, but this is, a, this is something I struggle with that I always am praying that the Lord will give me the grace to not let bitterness take root. Because as soon as it's there, the love of Christ can't be there, can't coincide, can't, can't, can't coexist. And then he goes on and talks about, and this, this is the part that might seem a little bit hard for us to understand, but he compares the, 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 the Jewish people looking at, at, at Mount Zion and, and, and Moses even, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, excuse me, when Moses was up on the mountain, he was afraid. And if an, when the Spirit of God descended on the mountain, if an animal touched the mountain, the animal had to die. That's how awesome, that's how powerful God is. And yet we, we come to a holy mount. And because of the blood of Christ, because of his sacrifice, that he, that he sh- his blood that was shed for us, an atonement for our sins, we can approach him. We can come, but literally come boldly to the throne of grace where we're going to find help in time of need. And I love, I love this... Um, this, 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 these two verses. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the holy Jerusalem, to an innumerable, an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, in the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That was the the theme of, of, of the book of Hebrews, is better. A better sacrifice, a better covenant, a better relationship with God. To the Jews that he was writing this to, they couldn't they couldn't utter his name. And to us, he's our father. And he's our father because our Savior endured the cross. Scripture said, we read, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Dear ones, what was that joy? We are that joy. Jesus went to the cross because he saw us. And he said, They are worth it all. They are why I came. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. May the Lord add his blessing to these words.